my Bible it's page 2171. <laughs> Paul writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. Mother bombarded heaven with prayers. She knew it was going to take nothing less than a miracle to bring this prodigal son to the father. And a miracle is exactly what God did. The miracle came with a bang on my door. I opened up my door and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. I just received a large shipment of drugs. Not my largest, but they confiscated all of my money and all of my drugs, and I was charged with the street value equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. Now you may find this hard to believe, but this is just a small snippet of a testimony from one of my professors back at Moody Bible Institute. Dr. Christopher Yuan, has one of the most incredible testimonies that I have ever heard. Being born to first-generation Asian Americans, Chris grew up in a difficult home with his parents suffering marital problems and eventually plan, a plan for their divorce. The whole family situation blew up when Chris showed up to his parents and then came out to them as a gay man. Because this was so shameful for the Asian part of their culture, the family just decided that the three of them were just going to go their separate ways. But this is when Angela, Chris's mom, was found by Christ. You see, she was responding to a pamphlet that she was given by a local minister. And her life was radically changed by God just days before her plan to take her own life. From that point on, she dedicated herself to praying for both her son and her husband, constantly praying through the intense pain that she was feeling and asking God to save them. Six months after Angela was saved, her husband Leon would soon be saved and changed, leaving just Chris separated from God. 
Throughout the next couple of years, Chris's life took a downward spiral. While he was a student in dental school, he lived a sexually promiscuous gay lifestyle. But when that high wasn't enough, he turned to drugs. But drugs and dental school are both very expensive. So he then became a dealer to feed this addiction. However, his actions weren't very, he wasn't very good at keeping his actions a secret. And soon enough, the school found out about it and expelled him just three months before his graduation. He then took up dealing drugs full time, this time for the gay community in Atlanta, Georgia, acting as a supplier for dealers in more than a dozen states. And through it all, Angela, Chris's mom, kept praying and witnessing to Chris. She prayed that the Lord would do something radical in his life. And the Lord answered her prayer. Chris was thrown into prison where he thought his life was over. But one day when walking past a big pile of trash and thinking himself no better than the trash can that he was looking at, he picked up for himself a Gideon's New Testament, which was sitting on the top, figuring he needed something to do to pass his time in prison. That night, he encountered the living word of God for the first time as he read all of the gospel of Mark in one sitting. And soon after, the Lord had snatched him out of this darkness and into the light of his eternal glory. You see, I've heard this story a number of times, and every time I think about it, it amazes me. What I love particularly about the story is that Chris's mom, Angela, had dedicated herself to praying for her son and witnessing to him. When her life was in the darkest of times, she continued and dedicated herself to this work of witnessing to the people that she loved most in her life despite the difficulties, despite the backlash that she faced. Through her pain, Christ used her and strengthened her so she was filled with his power, which then enabled her to keep praying and to keep witnessing for her son. She worked hard, knowing the cost, knowing the pain that was coming through this work, but also knowing but the potential reward was far greater. You see, tonight, I really want us to look at what it means to work hard for the sake of the gospel, as spoken about here in 2 Timothy. Over the previous two studies, we've looked at how Paul was encouraging Timothy with regards to his internal struggles, both in growing spiritually and taking confidence in the power and the message of the gospel. But here in chapter 2, Paul then transitions to talk about the work of ministry that Timothy, as well as all believers, are called to. You see, he continues on thinking about the theme of suffering for the faith. And in this section, Paul will break down what working hard for the sake of the gospel will be like. He first describes to us the nature of of the work in verses one through seven. Second, he tells us the reason for the work in verses eight through 10. And thirdly, 
he gives us encouragement for the work in verses 11 through 13. We then, as Christians, here in the modern day, reading this text, should read this advice and be encouraged to work hard for the sake of the gospel. But in order to know how to do this God-honoring work, we must first come to understand the nature of the work that our God has called us to. Let's read again verses 1 through 7 and see how Paul describes to us the nature of the work. Paul writes, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You see, when thinking about working for the sake of the gospel, we must first realize that this work that is ahead of us is going to be tough. Again, to remind you the context in which Paul was writing this letter, he was sitting in a prison cell waiting for his imminent execution. His days on earth are about to come to an end, and as he reflects on everything that the Lord has put him through, through his missionary work, he realizes and then plainly invites Timothy to share in this suffering for the sake of the gospel. But working for the Lord is not something that we are ever facing alone. And that is the first, first realization and first thing that Paul says here in verse 1. After talking so much about suffering for the sake of the gospel in chapter 1, Paul encourages Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. The Christian does not suffer alone when faced with trials of various kinds, especially when the trial comes from a result of serving our God. Our Savior, Jesus, provides to us strength to his people because he is the one who commissioned this work. He is the one who started this work. This mission that I'm talking about is specifically the mission given to us by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. This passage called the Great Commission is Jesus telling his disciples and the church by extension to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us. This is the work that Christ has commanded his disciples to do. When Paul was saved, he began to work following after the work of the Great Commission. Now, here in, our, in the context of our passage tonight, Paul stands at the end of his life, and he is looking at a leader of the next generation, Timothy, and encourages him to carry out this mission. Much more simply put here in verse 2, where he tells Timothy to share what he has heard with many faithful men, but specifically, many faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Simply put, in our Great Commission work, we are meant to be working in a ministry 
of multiplication, not addition. If we as a church were to expect only those in leadership to do the work of discipleship, then we could expect a small number of converts over the years. But I would bet that number would be quite small because that's simply just a ministry of addition. But instead, if we as a church are to come together and work in this work of discipleship ourselves, then the amount of people coming to this church being saved by Christ will grow exponentially. The number of conversions would outpace anything that simply the leadership of this church would able to be do by themselves. And that is a very good thing. Working for the glory of God at its core is all about multiplication with us, the church, making disciples who then go on and make disciples. However, when, when, I, when I talk about this, while we, write, while we think about this on paper, thinking about multiplication seems like a pretty easy thing to do and it's an idea that we can all really easily get behind. But we, re- we must remember that this work ahead of us is tough. In verse three, we are reminded again that the great commission work is going to bring suffering. There are going to be days where we aren't interested in doing this work because we are frustrated by the lack of progress or even regression of the people that we are trying to disciple. But yet, Paul calls Timothy, and by extension, us as the church, to share in this suffering. While the nature of this work is tough, Paul, in, the, in this passage, in these verses, gives us encouragement regarding the nature of this work through three distinct metaphors, which we see in verses four, five, and six. And then in verse seven, he encourages Timothy to think over what he is saying so that he will gain understanding. So I want us to slowly dissect each of these metaphors to understand the nature of this great commission work. You see, when thinking about how difficult this work of God is going to be, the first metaphor that Paul gives us is that of a soldier. See, within the military, there is a direct hierarchy of command that is passed from the top down. A commander who ranks above his troops will give directions to his, his soldiers, and his soldiers will then ideally work their hardest to follow the orders and please their commander. For the soldier, their job then is simple. Focus solely on the orders that they have been given. They know that their commanders make decisions for the best interest of everyone in the entire military as well as the people and the cause that they are defending. However, the temptation comes is that when soldiers are stationed, they are tempted to then deal with civilian affairs and be distracted from the mission that they have been given. Soldiers will get caught up in civilian pursuits, even though once they, order, once they entered into the military, they are no longer considered civilians and have dedicated themselves to working towards the greater good. You see, in this metaphor, Paul is illustrating that when we are doing the work of God, we need to stay solely focused on the mission at hand. 
We are soldiers in the army of God, given direction to proclaim and defend righteousness in this world and point others towards salvation in Christ. Having been given this mission, we then as Christians face the temptation of being caught up in civilian affairs here in this world. Things like worrying about how much money is in our bank, thinking about engaging in neighborhood or workplace gossip, thinking about achieving a high cultural status can all distract us from this great commission work that we are called to. You see, great commission work requires our focus so that we may please and honor our heavenly father who has called us to it. The second metaphor then Paul then gives to us in verse 5 deals with that of an athlete following the rules of the sport that he plays. If the athlete does not fairly play within the rules that were agreed upon or even fails to participate, then they cannot expect to receive the crown at the end of the game. For Timothy, that requirement that Paul is calling him to is to suffer on behalf of the gospel work. If Timothy were to try and weasel his way out of this work because of this oncoming suffering, then he won't be rewarded for this work because he won't be doing the work at all. For us now, the same principle applies. God has called us to this work, which will require us to work hard and experience suffering. We cannot try to escape the physical and mental strain that we will experience because work inherently causes us strain. And any attempt to escape from this strain means ignoring God's call altogether. Great commission work requires our discipline. And finally, that third metaphor that Paul gives to us is that of a hardworking farmer. The work of a hard-working farmer is disciplined and focused, working diligently to help crops grow in the most healthy and efficient way possible. And this work does not go unrewarded. The work that he puts in, although it may be difficult, pays off because it produces a fresh set of crops to which he is able to take the first share of. For Timothy, this work that he is participating in and the work that we also participate in will be rewarded in the age to come. You see, entering into the gates of heaven, if we are to work hard and work diligently, we will hear the words of our heavenly Father who will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. But that is only if we are working hard for God's glory. The joy of hearing these specific words from our heavenly Father that joy may seem limited to us now, but hearing them in heaven, we will experience the fullness of joy as it was meant to be experienced because we work diligently for our God. But the crops are also able to be sampled on this side of heaven as well. That joy that we will feel can be sampled here on earth as we work for God's glory now. The joy of seeing someone grow closer to Jesus as they understand the depths of Christ's love. 
The joy that we see when people are saved, when they give their lives to Christ and turn away from their unrighteousness and their unbelief. That is a joy that is a sample of the joy that is to come. It is a joy that surpasses any earthly wonder that we may experience because it is a joy given to us directly from God. See, the work of God may be difficult, but the reward of joy is greater than anything that we could imagine. You see, the nature for our work of God is difficult. There will be times in our lives where suffering is prominent and our pain feels normal, but yet working to fulfill this great commission work will always be worth it. Our Savior strengthens us by giving us his grace to do this work. And once our God has equipped us, we must remind ourselves to face these trials, that we need to work with focus and with discipline, and that we can be assured that our reward will be, will we, that we will be rewarded for the effort that we, are, that we are giving out in this work for God. And see, after understanding the nature of the work for spreading the gospel, we must also remember Number two, the reason for the work, as we see here in verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, he says, Remembering, or Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, in the midst of this difficult work for the gospel, it can be easy to focus solely on the work that we are doing and forget about the results of the work. And we will, we will completely forget why we are putting ourselves into this work in the first place. But as Paul reminds Timothy why they are putting themselves into the suffering, he points to two reasons as to why we should labor for the gospel. The first reason that we should labor for the gospel is because of the personal value of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of, of, of is the good news about Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself summarized this good news when he read from the scroll of Isaiah in the temple in Nazareth. He read and announced that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He told the people in the temple that through him that scripture was fulfilled. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus came to earth and proclaimed to us the forgiveness of sins for all who call him Lord. He then backed this claim by becoming sin himself and facing the punishment of a sinner, even though he himself knew no sin. He died in our place. And after three days, he rose again victorious over death proving his power, his nature, and his identity. The good news of Jesus Christ, the saving work of the Messiah, and the promised son of David who would rule forever. These 
Make, these things make up the good news of the gospel, which hold more value than any precious stones, any precious metals, or any currency could ever hold. The gospel holds infinitely more value to the weary soul than any person would ever be able to understand. We don't try to upsell the gospel by calling it good news, kind of like people selling something in a pyramid scheme. But instead, the opposite is true, where our words and descriptions of the gospel will never give to us and make clear the value that it holds. You see, because this gospel is so personally valuable, Paul is willing to go through any suffering and endure through everything that comes his way. At the time of writing this, Paul describes himself as being treated like a criminal. But specifically, the Greek word that we have here translated as criminal is only used in one other place in the New Testament where it describes the other criminals who went to be crucified alongside Jesus. This means that Paul, in the moment when he was writing this, is being treated like the worst of criminals for his gospel proclamation. But even faced with his own death and his own mistreatment, Paul stands with the conviction for doing this work of God. The sweetness of the gospel that Paul has come to intimately know, love, and crave is the reason that he is able to face any persecution and work diligently for the gospel in any situation. Even though Paul may be bound, the word of God could never be bound. And this instills in him an everlasting hope. But not only is the gospel valuable to Paul personally, but it is also valuable to others as well. This is the second reason that Paul gives to us why we should work for the sake of the gospel. Because the gospel is valuable to others, to the elect. Paul, seeing the power of the gospel as exceeding all things, knows that he can confidently endure suffering so that others may obtain this salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The reason we must work hard, the reason we must work so tirelessly for the sake of the gospel is because the gospel is valuable to ourselves and to others. And others need to hear it to be saved. This perfectly tees up for us a point of self-evaluation. This is a time where we should look at ourselves and think about how we value the gospel, how we understand its value in our lives. We should ask ourselves, have I been working tirelessly for the sake of the gospel? Or have I forgotten the true value of this good news? Have I lived my life with God's glory constantly in mind, knowing that others desperately need to hear this good news? Have I ignored my own spiritual growth, thinking that the gospel is less valuable than it actually is? Have I compromised on my Christian faith to, to embrace uh, aspects of my social life, thinking acceptance with a certain group of people is more valuable than the gospel? If this is you, 
if you have abandoned the harvest or this work, this great commission work in any way, then remember for yourself the personal value of this gospel. Remember how it once changed your heart and made you into new creation. See how God has changed you over the course of this time and remember that there are others that need this salvation as well. But maybe you have been working hard. Maybe you have been living your life for the glory of God as best you can and have been tirelessly working without any fruit to show for it. If this is how you have been feeling, then friend, let me encourage you. Take encouragement and keep working, remembering the value that the gospel has for others. The Lord works in incredible ways beyond any of our understanding. And your work will never be in vain if you are seeking to serve the Lord with your whole heart. When you, when you do see the fruit in something big like someone being saved or someone being open to attending church, that is the Lord giving you a glimpse of just a small fraction of the work that he is doing through you. If you are living faithfully, if you are working tirelessly for the building of his kingdom, know that the Lord is working through you, even if you haven't understood or realized how he is using you. For if the Lord were to show, if the Lord were to show you everything that he is doing through you, you, you would be then tempted to worship yourself and not him. We must work hard for the sake of the gospel. For there are so many lost people in this world who need to experience salvation and be saved. Although this work is difficult, the goal that we strive for, that others may taste and see that the Lord is good, is worth every bit of effort that we can muster. Remember the personal value of the gospel and work hard so that others may also see the value in this salvation. And what is amazing for us right now is that we have a savior who can relate to this work and to the struggle that we go through because our savior, our Jesus Christ was the one who began this work. Look with me now at number three. Paul gives us encouragement to do the work in verses 11 through 13. He writes, the saying is trustworthy. For we have, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. You see, in the last verses of this passage... Paul gives us a trustworthy saying that supports his argument that we should work for the sake of the gospel. This saying that Paul recites to us shows us how we as Christians participate in the life of Christ. This is the doctrine that the church holds to that you may be familiar with called union with Christ. All people who are saved by Christ are, bought, are brought into this union with Christ, meaning that they become one with him. Union with Christ is one of the most profound mysteries of the church, but it is also one of the most valuable, which is why Paul repeats this saying here as an encouragement for Timothy. 
You see, as we become one with Christ in union, we actively participate in both Christ's life and his death. You see, baptism is one of, the way, uh, one of these tangible examples and symbols that we have for our union with Christ. When someone is brought down into the water, we say that they are participating in Christ's death. And when they are raised out of the water, we say that they are participating in Christ's new life. Baptism is the symbolic participation in Christ's death and resurrection, which happened at the moment the believer was regenerated and saved. What we need to realize is that our participation with Christ simply goes past simply just participating in his life and death. Participation in Christ extends to the work of fulfilling the Great Commission. By the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of the believer, we are given the power to endure any trial. And if we are able to endure which all who are in union with Christ will be able to endure, then we will also reign with Christ in the age to come. But for those who are not in union with Christ, they will deny Jesus before men, and Jesus will deny them before the Father. So we know that those who are in union with Christ will endure through everything. However, there will be times when those who are in union with Christ will have a lapse in judgment. They will cause themselves to be unfaithful to God. But because they are in union with Christ, because they are already saved by Jesus, Jesus will not reject them for their momentary failure. The union is just that. It is a union made by an unbreakable bond. So if you are in Christ, you cannot be turned away and Christ will remain faithful even in the midst of your unbelief for he cannot deny himself. You see, what participation and union with Christ do effectively for us is to show us that we have a savior who is able to empathize with our struggles and with our sufferings. Our Savior understands the work that we are doing because he has first experienced it himself. Jesus is the one who started this work of spreading the good news because he was the first to announce that the good news has arrived. You see, in our Great Commission work, we are actively participating in the work that Christ has already started. Therefore, we can take comfort knowing that we work alongside a God who knows our struggles. He dwells with us in our pain and he he strengthens us during our times of suffering. You see, Jesus isn't like a CEO sitting on top of the corporate ladder in in a specific corporation, not really understanding or knowing what happens at the very bottom. But instead, Christ made himself lower than any of us and he made for himself an example and how we can follow alongside him in, in his work. So Christian, my encouragement for you this evening, do not be afraid to enter into the harvest field. Answer the calling of God and share with people the infinitely valuable good news of the gospel. They need to hear it. Recognize that this work ahead of us is going to be difficult. 
but know that our Savior sees your struggles and meets you in your pain. Jesus strengthens you for this great commission work and will give you glimpses of the joy that's to come. So work hard for the sake of the gospel through the power of Christ for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.